Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast for busy pediatricians who want to better understand children's emotional health and behaviors and gain the skills and knowledge to help them thrive. I'm Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician. I see patients every day who struggle with depression, anxiety, and even suicidal thoughts. And I know you see these kids too. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. My guest today is Dr. Robert Saul. Dr. Saul was born in Chicago and grew up in the Chicago area and later moved to Colorado. He is a graduate of Colorado College and the University of Colorado School of Medicine. He later completed his pediatric training at Duke University Medical Center and genetics training at Greenwood Genetic Center. He is a professor of pediatrics at Prisma Health, Children's Hospital Upstate, and the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Greenville, South Carolina. He has two grown children, Bradley and Ben, and has been married to his wife, Jan, for over 32 years. He has several books, including My Children's Children, Raising Young Citizens in the Age of Columbine, All About Children, and Thinking Developmentally, Nurturing Wellness in Children to Promote Lifelong Health. His latest book, Conscious Parenting, Using the Parental Awareness Threshold, was published in March of 2020. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Saul. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for uh, letting me chat with you today. Oh, I am so excited to do this. I really appreciate your time. And there is so much to unpack with everything that you've written and all the work that you do. So we'll get to as much of this as we can, but I'm suspecting we may have to have future podcasts because you've just done so much. I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you was to share a little bit about kind of how you came to this whole work on conscious parenting and maybe some of the things in your own life that really was the impetus for this. Okay, well, the most recent book was just uh, published last year, but I really have to go back, or excuse me, earlier this year, but I really have to go back to the mid-90s to start that journey. Came out of pediatric residency and then a genetics fellowship and wanted to be the best darn doctor you could be and did everything I could, probably delved into that a little too much, but in the mid-90s, I realized I wasn't really connecting to my community like I needed to. At the same time, I heard a a healthcare futurist say 12 words that had a profound impact on me. He was talking about a fundraiser at a hospital system, but he said, for anything that happens in your community, you should say, I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource. Meaning that for anything that's going on, it's not their teenage pregnancy problem, it's not their drug problem, it's not it's my problem. And to make a difference, I need to be part of the solution. But to be part of the solution, I have to devote my resources to that. Now, admittedly, it took me a while for that to sink in, but it really did have a lasting impact in my brain. And after several months, I went to one of the folks in the community and said, what can I do? How can I get involved? So I started getting involved in some things. And because I emphasized that not only you could change the pronoun, not just I am the problem, I'm the solution, I'm the resource. 
It could be, we are the problem. We are the solution. We are the resource. So how can I engage and be a part of that whole process? And I got engaged and I really felt, I, in some ways, maybe I felt sort of smug how, how, how good I was doing. Um, and then Columbine hit, 1999, April 20th. Kids killing kids. I just could not understand that. And I was totally engrossed in the news cycle then, I guess feeling somewhat of a voyeur, but not trying to understand this. And I wrote for the first time an op-ed article for the local newspaper about what I considered to be the, the problem is that we weren't engaged as community. We've become disengaged on our community. We've, instead of citizens, we've become isolated islands. So I proposed at that point what I considered to be the five steps to community improvement. Anyone could come up with their own paradigm. It just seemed to make sense to me, that paradigm, that being learn to be the best parents you could be, get involved, stay involved, which I think is different than getting involved, love for others and forgiveness. And that sort of stuck with me. That was in 1999. I wrote that first one. And for some reason, then I said, well, I just need to keep doing this. So every two to four weeks, I would send an article into the local newspaper based on one of those steps. And I wrote over 160 op-ed articles for the local newspaper in my community here in Greenwood, South Carolina. At the same time I was doing these, I was disseminating people around the country and people said, you need to turn that into a book. But really what that did, so I did that, but really what that did is it is I wrote each of these articles and I tried to make them short, pithy with a take home message. What it really was, was not preaching to somebody, preaching to others, but preaching to myself. What are the action steps that I need to be doing? What are the things that I need to be saying and actively participating in? And so it, that was really, that got me started down this journey. Well, and I would say that, you know, so much of what we do as pediatricians is coaching parents. And of course, we often, many of us are parents. So there's that we're bringing that and we've all been parented in some way, shape or form. And as I read through your books, I was struck by, you know, sort of the, really the huge task of raising children and that, you know, it takes all of us to do that. Right. And that, you know, maybe it's easier when you have a, a, you know, quote unquote, stable family where you have, you know, two parents and you have financial wherewithal and a safe place to live. But, you know, many of our families don't have that. And I think probably a lot of families look at us and think, oh, you know, we've got it because we're pediatricians. We know what we're doing. I wondered if you could talk a little bit just about your own background and what you bring to, I guess, you know, parenting and pediatrics, because I think your own story is really impactful. Well, it, I have to realize that some of my own story was only unfolded in retrospect as I finally got to see it. Uh, my parents divorced when I was nine. My father, unfortunately, had alcoholism. And when he was uh, on one of his binges, he was, he was abusive to my mother, probably more verbally uh, than physically. Uh, my mother did not have much of family support. We were a family of means, but of, of monetary means, not of emotional means. And I think that can cause its toll. The, my mother moved us around a little bit after the divorce. Uh, we I initially grew up in Chicago and then went to Colorado and then come back to Chicago and then went back to Colorado. 
she was trying to find her own roots uh, in terms of what she could do and raise her two sons. I have an older brother. And so it was very difficult, I think, for her to do things. Yet, and when she passed away and there was a memorial service in 2002, my brother found some of her journals uh, that she wrote. And it was just amazing to me to read what she was talking about. So many of the things that I've been trying to talk about in terms of citizenship and parenting and love for others uh, and forgiveness, I now know that's from my mother. And, you know, I didn't know that at the time. Um, all I knew is that I had a close relationship with my mother and uh, she indeed was my rock and she sheltered me from all of the chaos of the family. I think my older brother was much more the brunt of that, not personally, but but witnessing it. So, you know, seeing what my mother was able to do and shelter me, but provide that nurturing experience, it's just amazing. Now, in retrospect, now let me add, let me fast forward to to the end, unfortunately, as we as I tried to become my mother's parent, as we deal with the issues when parents get older, I became the evil parent because I had to make those tough decisions that she didn't want made. Um, and that was very difficult as a child to see that. Uh, and when she passed away, I finally realized that that was just that stage uh, that wasn't her. So I was able to to work through that personally because that was very difficult at the time to be for her to look at me and say you're evil. Uh, and so I'm sorry, that's an aside, but that's but it, it's interesting the stages we go through in terms of parenting. One other thing I should mention about parenting is well, as I wrote this book, I was trying to come up with a title. The first book I wrote, uh, and I decided to call it My Children's Children. And to me, that's three things. It's any grandchildren I might have, that is my children's children. At the time I wrote the book, I had none. And now I have an instant eight-year-old grand, granddaughter. And uh, in December, I'll have a second granddaughter. But then my children's children are also uh, the children I've cared for. Uh, pediatricians are very maternalistic and paternalistic in terms of the children they care for. Because we really feel like they're our kids. Uh, and then the other, my children's children, so the three part of that, third part of that, is any children I've advocated for. So I'd like to think that the books are an essentially a child advocacy project uh, in terms of what I can, can what I can do in terms of my writing and continue to, to do in terms of my professional career. I think it's so interesting because as you were talking about your own childhood and, of course, you know, when we're thinking about toxic stress and ACEs and I'm counting and I'm like, I think he has three at least. And yet what we know about toxic stress and, and some of the work that you've done with Andy Garner on your book, Thinking Developmentally, is this whole idea that these um, nurturing, flexible parents can buffer all that. And you said that about your mother. And, and I think that's another tenant in your conscious parenting book where you talk about this idea of these stable, safe, nurturing relationships and, you know, what, what that means and how it can protect our kids. And not only do our parents need to do that, but then our job as pediatricians is to help parents do that. Um, and I don't know that that's always been in our training how to do that specifically, but it is clearly 
you know, I think one of the most important messages is how do we help our parents parent? Yeah, SSNRs are critical, safe, stable, nurturing relationships. SSRIs are, are too ubiquitous in our society, uh, but they're very necessary in a lot of ways. And I don't want to belittle their purpose and their therapeutic need. And I'm uh, going to interrupt you just in case there are people that aren't pediatricians on the on the on this podcast. SSRIs meaning um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. So uh, there's that. I'd like to think that SSNRs SSNRs are much more important than SSRIs. You, you can need both of them at the same time, uh, but it's the SSNRs that will have that. Uh, will have that lasting uh, purpose. And I, and I now can think back to what my mother did, and that was the SSNRs and all the chaos that was going on and when my father wasn't in my life and when he would come back. And I think of, remember the example when he came back and obviously he was drunk. He saw that I had a new baseball mitt and I had a new baseball and he threw them away because he was incensed that that, that, was, that was done. Uh, yet... I, it, other than that one bitter time, in my my recollections, my mother was there. She made she she was able to mollify that uh, moderate stress. It wasn't a toxic stress. Uh, it wasn't a positive stress. It was, it was a tolerable stress, and she was able to to help to help me through that time. But you're right. We uh, we want to be sure we help parents understand the importance of SSNRs. And I think actually in our pediatric practices, and I've done both. I mean, I've been a primary care pediatrician. I've been, I've been a medical geneticist medicist specialist. Now I'm a complex care uh, physician for uh, pediatric care. I think my bias is we didn't, and I'm, I'm sort of pointing inward here, is that we don't do as good a job looking to see what the SSNRs are in the lives of our children and our families. We're getting better in terms of identifying the ACEs and look at in trauma-informed care, but I think we need to do a better job. I think we need to have a better paradigm in terms of how we can uh, identify and boost uh, safe, stable, nurturing relationships for our families. Well, and I thought one of the things that I read in your book that I really loved was that we should aspire to our children, we should aspire that they are nice people, you know, that they are good um, members of our community, and that their happiness then is kind of a secondary goal, which I think a lot of us think about, like, we just want our kids to be happy. So what what's that kind of pivot of this idea of conscious parenting and this whole idea about raising good citizens and then the happiness will follow. I remember as my, as my mother was going through things, she said, all I want you to do is be, is be happy. All I want you to do is be happy. And so when I then entered adulthood uh, and my first son and my, unfortunately my, my uh, divorce, my, his mother and I divorced. And as I was talking to him, as we were going through that period, I said, all I want you to do is be happy. So I was in, in some ways just parroting my mother. Um, and I realized after a while that that, that really wasn't a lot. That was the secondary benefit. That if he was a person that cared for others, helped others, was empathetic toward others, he would be happy. And th- that would make him happy. 
then he needed to do that first. That just being happy sounds too hedonistic. That is, you can just do whatever you want to be happy. Uh, and being, hap being happy to me is helping others. Um, and then, then that goes. Let me shift then into conscious parenting. Or well, let me, add, if I could, just add one other thing to that whole paradigm, because I think based in all of this is forgiveness. Of those, of those five steps I talk about, learn to be the best parent you can be, get involved, stay involved, love for others, and forgiveness. I think the toughest one is forgiveness. Um, and I know, because I've been on my own personal journey uh, with that and with my father, and I still have good days and bad days uh, with that. But I think it's, it's the whole point of forgiveness that lets us move on. And I've, one of the things, and I've tried to read as much as I can about forgiveness in terms of like Nelson Mandela and the Reconciliation uh, Commission in South Africa uh, and, the, and after the Rwanda genocide and all of the things that have occurred. I'd look at those people and I say, how could they do that? How, 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 can, how can I not forgive something as simple is what I think is a major indiscretion when look at what they're dealing with. So to me, forgiveness is an incredible learning journey. I mean, you know, the three-year-old bops the two-year-old and mother looks down at him with a stern look and says, tell your sister you're sorry. That's step one in forgiveness, I guess. Uh, and, and then there's that perfunctory forgiveness that oftentimes teenagers have. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I have the keys to the, can I have the keys to the car now? <laughs> I mean, and, and so we go through those stages. And I think even uh, at my advanced stage in life, I still re realize that every decade I need to crank it up a notch. So I think it's really forgiveness that makes the difference uh, also, along with being a nice person and understanding that. Can you talk a little bit about your um, kind of I guess it's sort of a model of this idea of conscious parenting. And also then you talk about the parental awareness threshold. And actually, I used that this morning when I was talking about how I have, you know, done things with patients and this idea about above the line and below the line. And I even think about that in terms of my, my dad's going to be 90, um, I oftentimes think I'm below the line and trying to work with my parents who are elderly and have some dementia. It doesn't always bring out the best in me and I'm sure I'm below the line. So I, I love that terminology. It's, it's kind of a nice way of a, a framework. So maybe you can walk us through conscious parenting and the, this idea of the awareness threshold. Sure. And well, it, that, that started as I made this most recent shift in my career. Uh, seven years ago, I made the shift to get out of uh, medical genetics and get back to my pediatric roots. I was the uh, medical director of general pediatrics uh, in the hospital in upstate South Carolina uh, for seven years. Um, and part of the leadership training that you underwent there was learning about conscious leadership. There's a whole... Uh, industry, if you will, about conscious leadership. But this particular consultant, who Jim Dethmer, has written a great book on conscious leadership, talks about a variety of things. And he talked about you're, if you're a conscious leader, you're open, you're curious, you're willing to learn. But we're all at times closed, not receptive, and damned if I'm not right. Um, 
And you can think of that times as when you're open, curious, and ready to learn as being above the line. The other time when you're closed and you're right, you're below the line. And we are humans. We are going to be above the line and we are going to be below the line. And it's okay. The point is being conscious of where you are. An example, you're in a meeting uh, for, you know, you're in some uh, meeting at the hospital and you're just sitting there going, looking at your watch and saying, when's this thing over? This is the biggest bunch of hooey I've, I've heard in a long time. You're below the line. It's okay, recognize it. But the whole point is if you can recognize you're below, below the line, maybe then you could take some conscious steps to, to be more engaged in a positive way instead of just sitting there with your arms crossed waiting for, waiting for the magic hour to arrive. So as I tried to ingrain that into my leadership style, then I became uh, interested in saying, well, that's what parenting is about. Uh, you know, we're, when we're good, when I think when we're above the line in parenting, we're open, curious, we're ready to learn. When we're below the line in parenting, we're closed, we're unreceptive, and I'm right because I said so. So the line for me then became the parental awareness threshold. Instead of a line, okay, am I above the PAT? You'll note the football reference. <laughs> um, the, uh, and then, or I'm a below, the, below the PAT. And so, I mean, there's going to be times when you're going to be really ticked off with something you're your spouse did, you came home from work, your child did or whatever, or you were watching TV or something, and you might be below the line. And the point is trying to understand where you are consciously and how you can change that. So as I looked at trying to say, okay, as a parent, how can you consciously make that effort? Uh, something happens, uh, you know, what, you know, you're sitting there, your one year, your cute little one-year-old is sitting in their high chair and you're so happy that they're playing with the peas and all of a sudden the peas start flying all over the kitchen. Um, you might be, your teenager might've said something that really set you off and that those peas flying all over the kitchen isn't funny anymore. So how can you consciously try to make a difference? I think you need to pause, assess, and choose. You need to pause, take that step back and say, okay, what's happening? That's where you start to assess. Okay, this is just a one-year-old child throwing a pee. He or she's not doing it at me. <laughs> they're, they're just doing what one-year-old children do. And then choose, hopefully, an appropriate response. Now, at times, you're going to make an inappropriate response. I mean, I'm the first to tell you that, unfortunately, at times I have yelled at my children. They're grown now. And I know you never did that, but I, but I. <laughs> never. And, my kids would beg to differ. <laughs> and that's the whole point of just being conscious. If you've, if you've, you said, oh, gosh, I, I was really below the PAT that time. And you might not be able to change that, turn that around that day, that hour, that minute. But hopefully, as you become conscious about this whole process, you can start to think about it better. It's interesting in listening. I'm almost thinking about, you know, sort of the medical framework is like running a code. You know, if there's major chaos and, you know, we have somebody calls a code, 
you know, it's ideal if you can, you know, they always say, you know, take your own blood pressure, take your own heart rate, take a breath, you assess what to do, and then you act. And you, it goes better if you do that. If you're just yelling and screaming at people, it it doesn't go well. And so it's sort of that metaphor. Um, but the other thing I loved in the book is the way you outlined it from like, a zero to one, you know, because an infant has so little wherewithal other than just, you know, eating, sleeping, you know, peeing, pooping and and becoming a a person. And then there's teenagers. And I love that you said, you know, this is hard. I, I don't, I mean, some people are blessed with teenagers that never give them grief, but man, that was a hard time. And I mean, I love my adult kids, but boy, going back to teenage years, whew, that was tough. Well, and I tried in the book, as you said, to separate by age range. That is in the first years of life and the second in the uh, between two and five, between five and 10. And after t- after 10, I tried to have concrete examples of, about each of those in terms of because uh, you're right. You need to I mean, even with a colicky baby. You can be really irritated. You might, the pediatrician might say, well, you know, that's some babies will do that. And this is, you can do these things. And the good news is he or she will grow out of it. And you can try these things. And we all know families where that hasn't worked. And yes, they indeed did grow out of it. But the mother comes in looking like she was just stuck her finger in a light socket sometimes when they come into the office. Been there, been there, done that. I, I remember when I first started out, of course, in pediatrics, and I, I hadn't had any children yet. And I remember telling parents about, you know, what I knew about colic from reading about it. And then my first child was very colicky. And I also had some pretty significant postpartum anxiety. And it it was awful. I had no idea what it was like being on the parent side. And um yeah, it's a whole different thing. And I think one of the things you talked about was empathy. And I think from a pediatrician point of view is having empathy for those parents, you know, and it's not always a pat answer like, oh, it'll get better when you're spending hours with a screaming kid. um, It feels interminable. And I think part of the other thing in terms of conscious parenting is making sure you have partners along the journey Um, that can be your spouse. Sometimes a good partner is not your spouse uh, in terms of in terms of a good critique of your performance. Um, but it, it could be a good friend. It could be a counselor. It could be a pastor. It could be your pediatrician. There's all sorts of people that could be your your uh, your helpers along the way. But you really have to have partners because when you feel when you perceive that you have not done things well, when you've been below the line and it was a family shouting match. Uh, and nobody's talking to each other for a day or day or more. How do I, you know, one, what did I do wrong? And two, how can I start to repair things? And three, going forward, how can I try to uh, do better? Uh, well, the parent, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking as a parent now, I need a safe nurturing, stable relationship. And so with those learning partners, and that's for me too. And, and as pediatricians, uh, yesterday, um, one of my colleagues had a really tough case. I mean, a really messy family. And we were talking and I said, you know, this isn't the kind of thing where you can go home and tell your spouse because one, they don't get it. And oftentimes they don't want to hear it just because they can't relate. 
but being able to talk with our colleagues is safe. It's stable. We hopefully nurture each other. So this whole idea of nurturing relationships, there's lots of places for that, right? Yeah. And, and if, you know, the, the point to my mind, the point of conscious parenting is not making a happy child, but making a good citizen, making a nice person. And again, those are people that will engage and uh, by that by that way, will be happy. So in the book, I also talk about traits that one can do to try to help that uh, and, and ways to try to think about um, different modalities in terms of learning, understanding, practicing forgiveness and a variety of things. And I hope they're not just words because some of the, the, the book is purposefully short. It's meant to be a short read, almost a, a handbook that people could go back to they, well, that didn't go well. Let me go back to see what what uh, Dr. Saul said there. And I, please, I do not set myself up as a parenting expert. Um, and because uh, I've been a very imperfect parent. So if, you, if I could consider myself an imperfect parenting expert, I'll take that title. Uh, but I'm not a perfect parenting expert. Well, I think, you know, pediatricians, I think we're as good of experts as we can be, but, you know, we're we're human, we're flawed. I think Fred Rogers and his, I, I remember in the movie, somebody asked him about his relationships with his kids. And, you know, I don't think it was easy for him. And I think we think of him as the model, lovely, calm person and, you know, um, probably wasn't always in his own life. Can you talk a little bit about this idea about um, sort of raising a good citizen? What, is, what does that mean for a parent? Well, again, to me, if the, the whole five steps to community improvement were a model for community, were a model that would, if somebody were to internalize those, could make a difference uh, in terms of being a good citizen and helping improve their community. Part of it, for, let me, that part of what I'm doing, and I think what you are do, doing also, as you have aged, you don't want to become elderly. You want to become an elder. You don't want to be aging. You want to be saging. So part of what I'm trying to do is take my breadth of experience uh, and um, in my writings, hopefully with more to come, uh, and to continue to put things out there that if people can read it and say, ah, that makes sense. I'd I think I need to do a little bit more of this. Uh, that could help us become more engaged citizens. There's a great book by Robert Putnam, who's a sociologist in, uh, at Harvard called Bowling Alone. Uh, he also wrote a book, uh, I, the title escapes me right now, talking about our kids. But Boeing alone was that we have become less socially connected. After World War II, there was this great social connection. Uh, and people, he uses an example, the bowling leagues. So many people were part of bowling leagues. Everyone was connected in some way, shape, or form. Uh, our digital lives now with the internet and computers and smartphones and iPads, uh, we've become less connected. We can be more internal instead of more external. And I think that has been to the detriment of our society. So I want people to, if they can, by learning to be the best parents you can be, you can become a better citizen. And I purposely chose those words because I don't, I don't define what the best parent is. I think everyone has capabilities. Um, and I think we just want to be the best parent we can be. I think it's incredibly important to get involved. Um, it's 
but that will change. And that's why you have to stay involved. Uh, it's incredibly important to exhibit love for others. Uh, but uh, probably the most important thing, again, for me in terms of being a good citizen is practicing forgiveness. Uh, and that's not just personal forgiveness, but communal forgiveness. And uh, what I mean by that is recognizing what our socioeconomic group, what our ethnic group, what our professional group has done in the past and their indiscretions uh, and being part of the solution going forward. The American Academy of Pediatrics just uh, accepted uh, a resolution that part of its acknowledging its uh, part in systemic racism uh, back in the 30s. The American Medical Association did the same back in 2008. Um, so we can argue it wasn't me. I didn't do that. Uh, therefore, I have no responsibility. I think we need to look at it, it was us. Uh, and that's what we need to, to see what we can do better going forward. Well, and I, in thinking about, you know, again, being able to do this conscious parenting to the best of our ability, how do we talk to or work with or support our families that, you know, don't have a place to live? They don't have, you know, they're having trouble paying their their bills, they live in chaos, there may be domestic violence or substance use, because for them, it may be just survival. And are there ways that we can help nurture them to help them be the best parents they can be in our roles? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. And that's, um, and one of the things in the Thinking Developmentally book that uh, uh, Andy Garner and I did, we talk about sort of three levels of inter intervention, there's sort of the book level of intervention like conscious parenting, uh, but that might not sink in. We might need more uh, active integration of some of those materials. And then we need more active support mechanisms for some of these families. Um, your uh, guest over the last two days in my clinic, I, I dealt with several of these issues and realized that I am grossly inadequate uh, in terms of trying to help families get through this. What systems can we set up um, and I think a lot of that is advocacy. What can we, what can we do? I mean, we can consciously get our social workers engaged. We can consciously find out what uh, resources are out there in the community. To me, that's sort of the finger in the dike. Uh, we need to, we, we need to go back upstream and figure out, figure out how those, all those babies were being tossed into the river uh, instead of just plucking them out of the river, how we can keep them from getting tossed in the river. Uh, and that's where advocacy comes along and how we can make a difference in terms of legislation and, and all those, and all those things. And while this is certainly not funded in any way by the American Academy of Pediatrics, I honestly always give a big shout out because um, you know, that's what has really helped me do a lot of the work that I do is knowing that I'm not alone. So it helps me have relationships and network like with you. Um, and it also helps me be a better citizen because I can be part of a larger movement. And there's all these, you know, 67,000 pediatricians who care about kids and, you know, so for some of us, it may not be getting involved at the national level, but we have our chapters. And I really, again, would a call to action. If you're not part of your chapter, 
join your chapter because we do a lot of advocacy on our state level and even local level. So there's just so many avenues that in our professional role that we can be good citizens, good pediatricians. Um, and I do think, you know, it's, it's a tough job. It's a really hard job that we have. And I don't know, maybe you have some words of advice about how to, you know, kind of buoy up our own well-being. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. Because obviously, if you sometimes engage in this 24-7, you can, you can certainly get into a, a professional and that can lead to a personal funk. Uh, and that can affect you personally, can affect your ch- relationships with your children, can affect your relationships with your significant others. And so you really need to seek out uh, those that group of folks uh, that can help you share your values uh, and you feel like you're not alone. I mean, per- personally, even though oftentimes when I go to an AAP meeting, I hear things that really discourage me, but then I see what's being done, I come away encouraged uh, and I wanna get engaged uh, and I refuse to get discouraged. Uh, And maybe some of that is my mother in in me. Um, And so, because I know some other, some colleagues who don't have the same response, Uh, but my my attempt then is to try to buoy their spirits uh, and, uh, and to be as positive as I can. As you said, engaging in the chapter, I'm learning firsthand now is uh, just taking the reins of the South Carolina chapter president for the AAP. Uh, I thought I was engaged. As, as I get my barrage of emails every day, I realized I was just uh, I was just dog paddling. <laughs> and I've got a long way to go to that island. <laughs> well, there's there's so much to do. And. I guess that was one of the things actually why I wanted to do this podcast, partly because I have gotten to meet so many wonderful people that when I talk to them, like talking to you, that it just, you know, it sort of ignites my passions. It also reminds me about, you know, the higher calling to this job. Um, And, you know, and you can do the individual work with PEDS, you know, patient to physician as you and I have done. And at this point in my career, it's a little bit different kind of going to that, you know, what can I do on a larger or a different scale, but always, um, you know, these relationships that we have in our community of pediatricians is I think very powerful. You know, I like that you've written several books. One was for physicians, the thinking developmentally, you wrote one about your community, our children's children, one for parents, and then you wrote a book for kids. Yeah, that was that was fun. After I finished my 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 children's children, raising young citizens in the age of Columbine, I wanted to write a children's book, but I realized I probably didn't have the aptitude to do that very well. Um, but I, at the same time, I wanted to make sure it was richly illustrated. So I and I had just gotten my alumni bulletin from the I went to Colorado College in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I saw a woman who had just illustrated a children's book. I just cold emailed her and said, would you be interested in collaborating in a children's book? Um, So we put together the book that's all about children. That's really all about children, but it's a, it's a very different, I call it good night moon with a message because it's a series of 13 illustrations. And each of those illustrations has text that a younger child could read. There's text that a mother could say, Oh, let's look for, the baseball bat, or let's look for this. And then there's text for the parents 
also. Uh, there's pictures of a, in a, of a father reading to his children, of a mother breastfeeding, of a family families eating dinner at night, of visiting a military cemetery, uh, and 13 such illustrations. So we really, um, I was really excited with that that project, and I and, and was am quite proud of it. I really liked the the pictures, and I hope they strike a chord with some folks. Well, one of the things about all of the things that you've written are um, the examples the take-homes and the bullet points, which I'm all about bullet points and, you know, to kind of keep it simple and some easy things to remember. And I like your examples in the conscious parenting, you know, the tantrums, school avoidance, those are really nice um, examples. This idea that, you know, we don't have to be nice parents. Sometimes we have to make difficult decisions like we do with our children, like we have to do with our aging parents. Um, And then the other thing that I loved that I found, I can't remember which book, um, you made reference to Carol King's song about you have to get up every morning with a smile on your face. And of of course, I know all the words to Carol King's song. So I thought that was great. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one other thing I I meant to to bring up when I talk about um, uh, good citizens, uh, but about everything that we do uh, and as we become elders and as become sages is there's a, a great book called from aging to saging um, and in there it's not the direct quote from the phys- from the author but they talk about the five m's that and this is sort of what i've been trying to do i want to be a mentor a mediator a mobilizer a monitor and a motivator well listen um it has been so wonderful to speak with you. And I look at this again, these podcasts as an opportunity for me to find sages. And I am so grateful that you reached out to me. And all of the books that we've been talking about will be in the show notes. So there'll be links to that. So folks can find those um, easily. And um, I just wondered if you had any other parting words, but um, there I, I have like a gazillion bullet points of things that you've mentioned that are you know, very sage words. Well, I mean, my whole point here is I want want to advocate for children and families to improve our communities and to be better citizens. And I think that will indeed uh, lead to our improved health and well-being and everything else. I think that's a really great place to end. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, I mean, really just great words and awesome. I'm sure that you are a lovely pediatrician and your families are probably very grateful to have you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. I really enjoy this and, and I wish you great success with your podcast. Well, thank you. Share it and pass it on. Absolutely. I want to thank Dr. Robert Saul for his time today and his amazing sage advice. I'm going to try and sum it up. I think one of the big takeaways was the 12 words. I am the problem. I am the solution. I am the resource. And that meaning that we take on the problems and that we come up with ways to make those problems better and that we provide resource and support. I love that he said the goal of parenting is that they will become good citizens and that happiness is a secondary effect with the goal that children aspire to be nice people. 
seems like those are important words. Another takeaway was conscious parenting, that we learn, understand, and alter our behaviors as we try and help our children grow, and the concept of the parental awareness threshold, and that we behave above the line when we're curious and open, and below the line when we're closed and have to be right. We really function better when we're above the line. The five steps, be the best parent, get involved, stay involved, love for others, and what he felt was most important, forgiveness. He mentioned that safe, stable, and nurturing relationships, or SSNRs, beat SSRIs every time, and that it is these safe, stable, and nurturing relationships that help our children, help us as parents, help us as pediatricians, and help all of us as citizens of the world. I think there's a role for pediatricians to be the learning partners that our parents need, and particularly for those of our families who live in poverty, chaos, unsafe neighborhoods, maybe homeless, financially unstable, you know, those who are really struggling with toxic stresses. He really outlined a kind of a model for providing this kind of guidance that we can do and be the role models for these families. And then finally, as always, a big shout out and call to action to get involved in the community of pediatricians through the American Academy of Pediatrics and through our chapters. And again, I am not paid for by the AAP. I just really believe in the work that the AAP does and our chapters. And a big shout out to our Michigan chapter. So as always, I really appreciate your time. I know you all have lots and lots of things to do. This is a busy time. There's a lot going on in our country. And I hope today you found some words that are consoling and inspiring. Check out Dr. Saul's books. They will have links in the show notes. And be well. Take care and love each other. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. I know how busy you are, and I so appreciate your time. If this has been helpful, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I would love to hear from you and welcome all feedback, ideas, and suggestions for future episodes. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. Let's do better together.